All right, if you'd open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 18, Matthew 18, we're in this series called The Resilient Life, and we're talking about what does it mean to grow stronger as we grow older, right? The question isn't whether we're getting older, the question is as we get older, are we growing stronger? And that's how we're defining the word resilient. What does it mean to develop resilience in life? specifically in our walk with God. Hebrews 12 has kind of been the framework for it when you can think of resilience as running the race with perseverance. And so we've been talking about principles like living in light of the large arc of life. A key part of developing resilience is having a view of the timeline of our lives, decades-based, not so much days or hours-based, but to think about the long run that's before us, that for many in the room, you've got many years before you reach your peak. For some in the room, you're right in the center of your peak. When you hit into your 60s and into your 70s, that's the most spiritually productive and fruitful season of our lives, and to live in light of the large arc. And then last week, we talked about developing resilience is tied to living in response to this gravitational pull of a call, that there's a called life aspect that God is the initiator, that he calls us into our Ephesians 2.10 purpose to be about his work, his way for his glory. And it's a response to his call that sustains us in the times when we just want to throw up our hands and maybe bail and find some shortcuts on the race. And so this morning, it brings us kind of our third principle we'll be focusing on in Matthew 18. I've entitled this morning, Lightening the Load by Repairing the Past. And specifically, we're going to look at the journey today from bitterness to forgiveness in the midst of all the relational heartbreak and heartache that happens in the human experience. Now, I know when we press into this topic, and it's been heavy on my heart for a few weeks, knowing we're coming to this specific Sunday, I'm very aware that as we gather around this theme, there's a wide spectrum of circumstances before us. And it's naive of me to stand up here and just simply say, well, Jesus says forgive, so you should forgive. And we'll get into that in a minute. That is going to be a key step from today. But to understand, there's layers of complexity around this topic. Number one, there's not anyone in the room who doesn't long for their relational pain to be different than what it is. We all are on the same page with that. We long for there to be change. We don't enjoy living in the middle of the pain called relational heartache and heartbreak, right? We can all agree on that. And number two, let's all agree, this is extremely difficult stuff. This is very hard and very complex. Let's all agree on that point. And then thirdly, let's rest in this, that Jesus is with us and he will help us. So wherever you are, Let's all just kind of with open hearts and open hands say, hey, Jesus knows, hey, you are going to be here today, or you're going to be listening online today, or someone's going to tell you to listen to this later on, and you're sitting somewhere in some dorm room, some office, on a treadmill or something, and you're listening to this for such a time as this with open hands and open hearts. Let's just say, Jesus, have your way. And there maybe is a pathway forward that's a little bit different than what we've been living in some of our relational turmoil. So last month... As you know, I, I head off to a monastery periodically. Last month, I was hanging out at a monastery in Beech Grove. It's the, it's the sisterhood monastery. It's where the 50 nuns, it's the 50 nuns in me gathering. And I got done with three days with the sisters there, and it was a great time of quiet space. And I went out to my car to head on home, and here's what I was greeted with. 
Can you see that very well? That tire is super flat. I know you can't see it maybe the best. Flat, flat, flat tire on the van. And I'm standing there, and it's kind of the end of the day, and I knew the sisters were about to go into dinner and then into evening prayer. So I kind of scurried back in the monastery there, and I found Sister Sheila, who oversees a lot of the guest house stuff. And I'm, I said, Sister Sheila, I've got a flat tire. Like, do you have like a portable air compressor around here? <laughs> it's a great conversation to have at a monastery, by the way. Portable air compressor. They have like a Carl Ver person on property, like their facility director guy. He's just not there by the end of the day when I was leaving. So Sister Sheila gets him on the phone, and she says, come with me. So I kind of shuffle my way with a couple of sisters through the monastery, and we go to the maintenance shed. That's a classic spot, a maintenance shed of a monastery. And there was a little portable generator inside this maintenance shed. And Sister Sheila grabbed some drop cords, and they helped me. And we wheeled this thing all the way back out to the parking lot, inflated the tire. They blessed me to go on my way, and the way they went into their dinner and their prayer time. So a couple of days later, I took it back to the place where I got the tires. I didn't feel like it had been that long since I put new tires on. Anybody been in that spot before? Like, didn't I just put new tires on this thing? And so I take it back to there to see if they can repair it. And the technician comes out, you know, that wonderful moment after you've been sitting there longer than you wanted to be sitting there. And they come back and they say, Mr. Simpson, we cannot repair your tire. I said, why? Because your tread is too thin. The tire is too thin. It cannot be repaired. As a matter of fact, Mr. Simpson, all four of your tires, anybody been in this conversation before? All four of your tires are too thin. They must all be replaced. It is not safe for you to drive like this, you know, that whole deal. I was like, oh, what are my options here? And I said to him, I said, hey, will you check in your records there? When did we replace these things? And how many miles did I get on these things? He goes, and he goes, hey, as a matter of fact, you only got 44,000 miles on these tires. And then he said, and they're supposed to be a 90,000-mile tire. I said, well, warranty situation, right? He says, well, we call this, the technician said, well, Mr. Simpson, we call this a rapid wear issue. So I said, okay, is that your issue or my issue? His response, it's our issue. You know, I thought about that phrase preparing for today. You know, there are rapid wear issues when it comes to the soul. You know, there's some things, if we don't journey through in the way of Jesus, do you know that we're only going to get 44K out of a 90K life? Do you know that if we don't kind of step in and press into some kind of tough ground at times like this this morning, that there's a tendency that stuff's going to wear too thin. And then you're going to have the conversation that perhaps a counselor is going to have with you or a pastor is going to have with you or a therapist is going to have with you or someone's going to have with you and say, you know what? You can't repair that. You have to replace it all. And you know, Jesus knew this. Jesus knew the part of the human experience was going to be all these humans living in a fallen condition, which by the way, is the reason he came to earth. Which, side note here, if Jesus himself, if he experienced in the midst of his human 33 years here, relational hurt, betrayal, and conflict, hello, if Jesus of Nazareth, in his perfect human condition, 
had a gentleman like Judas betray him, another one like Peter deny him, had all kinds of drama within his small circle of 12, and he was only here for 33 years. What do you think it would have been like for Jesus if he hit his 40s and 50s? He was wise enough to exit. Get out of that, right? So, listen. In the midst of all the uncertainties of life, here's one thing we can take to the bank and be certain in the human experience. You will live in the midst of relational heartache and heartbreak over and over and over again. You will be on the receiving end or you will personally be inflicting pain relationally to those around you. There will be disappointment, there will be misunderstanding, there will be conflict. To think that that's not going to occur is to put your head in the sand and live in denial of human reality. Jesus knew this. And so a good portion of the writings of the New Testament have to do with how we move towards one another and respond to one another when things break down. Not if they're going to break down. It's when things get off the rails, when there is hurt, when there is betrayal, when there's a fracture of trust, when there is conflict, when things go away relationally that you never imagined them going, what are we going to do and how are we going to respond? And in a big picture sense, the Bible presents two large pathways. These are kind of two roads you can go in response to the reality of relational heartache. One we're going to call today the way of Lamech. We're going to call it the law of Lamech. We'll look at that in just a second. And the other is the way of Jesus. So here's the, the way of Lamech. He's not a well-known character in the Bible. Genesis 4, I put it in your notes there. Lamech is kind of introduced after the Cain and Abel saga in Genesis 4. And as the earth is beginning to be populated, here's what it said of Lamech. Lamech said to his wives, now that's plural, that's a discussion for another day. Don't get distracted on that. Come on back, stay with me here. Ada and Zillah, listen to me, he said, wives of Lamech. Hear my words. Here's the key sentence. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. That's all we basically know about Lamech's life, by the way. It's like there's his commentary on the whole story. So I think we'll put a term on that. Here's the way of Lamech or the law of Lamech. The law of Lamech says this. You hurt me, I hurt you. The law of Lamech is rooted in revenge. The law of Lamech says, hey, you cross me, I'm coming at you 77 times over. The law of Lamech is based in anger, resentment, and bitterness. It's not denied. Notice the phrases he used. He's been injured. Notice that? You see that? Injuring me. There's this young man who injured him, wounded him. We're not told a lot of details. Could have been a betrayal. Could have been a betrayal by a trusted family member. It could have been some type of fracture going on in a relationship in the extended family or friend network. Could have been something going on in the workplace. We're not told exactly what it is this young man had been doing to him, but clearly it was a deep, to the point where what? He got to kill him. So it's like, hey, you take, and he's using Cain, so you remember, so Cain killed Abel, so they're saying, hey, Cain's anger acted out like seven times, here's Lamech 77 times. So if you want to go the, the way of Lamech or the law of Lamech, which by the way, this is what's in the DNA. So sin has worked its way into our relational reflexes, and you know what it looks like? It looks like the law of Lamech. You don't have to think about this. This is the stuff. Here's how you know you're going the way of Lamech. 
Like when you have the imaginary conversations with the person that's crossed you, and you, you've already played out how that dialogue's gonna go, right? And, and you're laying in, I mean, you've set them in their place multiple times in your imaginary dialogue. Anybody been there? Am I the only one that has these imaginary conversations? Come on now. Or another way you know you're going the way of Lamech is you have a level nine reaction to a level two situation with the person. So you go level nine on this person because there's all this unresolved stuff in your heart that's building up. There's resentment, which by the way, resentment is anger that's been frozen over in your heart and get lodged there. That's what resentment is. So that gets built up. So no matter how that person responds to you, it's kind of like a level two situation that they crossed up. Maybe it's a family member and you have to see them at a family function and they give you the wrong eye contact at the food line or whatever and you just level nine inside. That's, that's law of Lamech. You know you're going the law of Lamech when your body has a physical reaction when you get in physical proximity with the other person or persons. You have that thing inside your stomach, that knot in your stomach, it has a nauseousness sense to it, and you feel your blood pressure rising and the color of your neck changing. And they haven't even said anything to you. But inside, you're raging. It's a way of Lamech. So that's one way to deal with relational hurts in life. You can go Lamech's way. You can say, hey, they hurt me, I'm coming back at them 77 times over. You get me, I get you. And it may not be as aggressive and over the top as Genesis 4. It might be more subtle and you just quietly internalize that hurt and you just decide you're never really going to deal with it and you're going to nurse that hurt. It's going to become anger frozen in your heart and it's going to manifest itself in a whole bunch of other ways. This is where passive aggressive behavior comes. That's another indicator, by the way. Passive aggressive, so when you're in their physical presence, you kind of pretend like everything's okay. Outside of their physical presence, you're going to go lamech on them. You're going to take them out. Passive aggressive stuff. All that stuff. Now listen. This is how sin has worked its way into our relational reflexes. We don't have to wake up in the morning and figure out how to go the way of Lamech. That's already in there. What we have to do now, and the rest of the morning is going to be spent, how do we go a different road? Well, number one, we can't do it in our own wisdom and strength. If you've ever tried to do this yourself, it doesn't work. You don't have the wisdom and the strength to turn out of the way of Lamech on your own. No shot. Which, by the way, this is why counselors, scrolls, or the, the, the list of counselors, good ones anyway, are packed. You can't see them for months at a time. Why therapists, the long list, why generally speaking, those trying to help people in human conflict aren't running out of stuff to do. Why is that the case? Because the way of Lamech is just running rampant all around. Hate, revenge, anger, bitterness. You get me, I get you 77 times over. You just wake up inside, and that's the way you're going to want to go when someone crosses you or you cross someone else. Jesus knew this. So he's with his people, and he says, well, I'm going to talk to you about another way. The way of Jesus. Matthew 18. Here's going to be our kind of key text for the morning. Verse 21. Peter, shock, he's having a dialogue with Peter here. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Now, pause there. What does that tell you about Peter's human experience? Has Peter just had a great week? Huh. That tells me Peter must have had all kinds of issues going on, most likely self-inflicted, which we'll own that in a little bit, right? Peter probably did some things, caused some relational turmoil from his own initiative. He's like, you know, how many times should I forgive those Jesus around me? And then he says up to seven times, and he's feeling real spiritual at this point. 
he's like run up to, he's like, oh, gee, I, I've got to grab seven times. Here's why he's feeling so spiritual. Here's a common rabbinic saying in the Jewish circles during Peter's day. Here's what it said. If a brother sins against you once, forgive him. A second time, forgive him. A third time, forgive him. But a fourth time, do not forgive him. Peter knew this. So Peter takes like that, that saying and he doubles it and adds one. It's like, hey, three times, the three times, that's like, I'm going double, six, add one, seven. Jesus, I'm, I'm so in today. I'm like, I'm in the inner circle. You certainly are going to put me up, promote me up the spiritual chain today. Now, listen to Jesus' response. Jesus answered, verse 22, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Uh-oh. What does 77 hark back to? The law of Lamech. So here's the reversal of the law of Lamech. I mean, Jesus knew. They would have known this story very well. 77 is an arbitrary number. He picked it out to know, hey, there's another way you can go with your relational heartache and heartbreak. And then he does what Jesus is the best at doing. He tells them a story. I think Jesus is the best storyteller in the history of the world. And his stories are known as parables. So it comes from a word para and bale. So para is to toss, kind of toss alongside, and bale, the word we get for a ball. So it's like he's just going to toss a story alongside everyday life, and he's going to harvest something out of it, specifically right now, on how do you move, how do you go on this journey from bitterness, the law of Lamech, to forgiveness, the law of Jesus. Here's three movements we'll look at, starting in verse 23. Therefore, Jesus tells him a story, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, in your Bibles, you can put 10,000 talents as the equivalent of about $12 million today. Huge debt. The point of the story is the kind of debt no one would ever be able to pay off in their normal everyday life, kind of like student loan debt today, right? Speaking of someone about to go down that road, that's how I'm feeling about it. I go to the financial aid meetings at all the you know, schools that Lily's visiting and that, and I go from the college visit to the prayer room. That's where I go. So that's been my journey for all kinds of reasons. So here's $12 million this person owes. There's no way they're going to pay it back. It's, it's overwhelming. Verse 25, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So you see, that's how this works. So if you can't pay the debt, it's going to sell you and everything you've got to basically get out of you what they can. So basically now the destiny of the servant rests solely in the character of the king. The king in Jesus' story is the God character in the story. So the king is sitting overseeing all that's happening here. Now let's watch how the servant and the king interact. Verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him. By the way, the word fell on his knees, it's like a begging term. It's what they used for dogs to lick the hand of their master. That's the posture they were having. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. So here's the first movement in this journey from bitterness to forgiveness. The first movement in the way of Jesus, it has to do with anchoring ourselves and our identity on the $12 million of sin debt that's been pardoned on our behalf. So I want you to stay with me here for a minute. 
as overwhelming as it is to think about moving towards others in a posture of forgiveness, here's the first movement we've got to stay squarely on. We've got to have the identity of one who is forgiven. We cannot lose sight of this reality. I, as a child of the Most High God, have been forgiven 12 million plus dollars of sin debt. Ephesians 2 says, I was dead in my transgression and sin when Christ came to save me. Luke 15 says, I'm wandering off in a distant country. I'm not looking for God, but he's looking for me. Right? John 3 says, this is how the Father sent the Son not to condemn the world, but to save the world. So this is the movement of God. So this is God's heart towards us is to say, I'm coming towards you. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, we've all lived verse 27. Have we not? Verse 27, I'm going to read it again. If you're a follower of Jesus, here's what's been true of you at some point in your life. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Do you remember that day? In a couple of weeks, we're going to have several people in the waters of baptism up here. Do you know what they're going to testify about? They're going to testify about Matthew 18, 27. That at some point in their life, they met Jesus. He canceled the debt and let him go. We're a forgiven child of God. We're in this posture as one who has received an unbelievable amount of mercy and grace. And do you see why this is so sent? We've got to anchor ourselves here before we begin to move out towards anyone else to work on forgiveness. We first have got to stay right here in this space. And for some of you who can't even fathom making this move, this is your move this morning. That you find the worship music that fuels you. That you immerse yourself in some of those scriptures. Ephesians 2 and John 3 and, and Philippians 2. And there's amazing texts all through the scripture that your identity is one who's forgiven. You stay there. You stay anchored there. You remember the $12 million that you've been pardoned from. That you at the core of your being are one who is forgiven. That is central. And this is a key movement in the story. And you see right here in the story, like if the king and the master decided, you know what we're going to do here? We're going to make the family, we're going to go justice on the story. You know what justice is? Justice is the law of Lamech. Justice is you owe, you pay. Justice is you hurt me, I hurt you. And here you see the character that Jesus is describing is, is the character of the master, the character of the king is someone who goes beyond justice, you owe, you pay, to mercy. You know what mercy is? You owe, I'll pay. Now, is that what God did for us in Jesus? You owe. The question isn't whether we owe. The qu we all owe. The question, who's going to pay? Jesus, I'll pay. That's the posture of a forgiven. You owe, I owe, I'll pay. Isn't that wonderful? Have you ever been in those settings in a restaurant or you've been around where you know the bill was supposed to come to your table and all of a sudden doesn't come to your table? And then the waiter or waitress comes over and says, Someone picked up your tab for you. It's happened to us a few times. I still don't know who they are. Thank you if it's been you guys. Thank you. For, but people, what, that's, that's it. Jesus did that on a much larger scale. It's a huge, huge bill racked up. I'll pay it. I got it. Forgiven. So we, you and I, as a child of the Most High God, as a follower of Jesus, we start the journey of working through our relational breakdowns from this place of one who is forgiven.
who lives in verse 27. The sin has been canceled and you are free to go. Let's keep going. Verse 28, what happens next? Like every good story, there's a twist. Jesus has got great twists in his stories. Verse 28, but when that servant went out, right there, you should be sitting up in your chair like, oh, Jesus is going somewhere now. When that servant went out, so the one who just got pardoned $12 million debt, he goes out, that servant. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Now, in your Bibles there, here's what a denarii looks like. There's a small Roman coin, similar to our pennies kind of thing today. $17, the equivalent of that. Okay? So you see where Jesus is going with this? So the guy who just been pardoned 12 million bucks runs into someone who owes him 17. What happens here? He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Have you heard that in the story before? Is that the exact same line? Be patient with me, begging, I will pay you back. Exact same as verse 26. Not a coincidence on Jesus' part there. Verse 30, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Oh. So here's a second movement as we go on this journey from bitterness to forgiveness. The first movement is to ground and anchor our identity as one who is forgiven. The second movement is to prepare yourself for unmet expectations. This is just reality, part of the story, right? Hey, guess what? Memo, I'm going to play Pastor Obvious for a minute on this one. As you begin to move out into your relational brokenness and try to go the way of Jesus and less of the way of Lamech, guess what you're going to be ushered into? A whole host of unmet expectations. Here's what uh, Oswald Chambers calls it, the ache of incompleteness. Here's what you're going to find. You're going to be like, oh, I'm taking, I'm going to go the way of Jesus with this person. And they're going Lamech on you. Boy, that's a great time when that happens. That really hurts. You're trying to be gracious and patient and forgiving. And you're trying to take some steps. And the other party is unwilling to move from their place of you hurt me, I hurt you. And there's this gap. And then it just, the wound gets even deeper. And the hurt gets stronger. And the emotions grow even hard, uh, stronger. And you say, what do we do? So this is the, the movement here where I think it's important to recognize just because you choose to go the way of Jesus, just like in this story, you're going to encounter some circumstances that are not the way they're supposed to be. It's very complicated. I love what Gordon McDonald tells the story in his book. I put a, a good portion of the quote in your notes there. Gordon McDonald was on his way to a speaking engagement, and he recognized the people he was going to be seeing at this speaking engagement um, were people whom he had had a long history of some conflict with, what was unresolved, and in his own heart, he had kind of built up what he would call resentment and bitterness towards them. And he was on the airplane ride preparing his talk and wrestling with how he was going to interact with them when he got to the venue. And here's what he tells in his book, the story. He says, we will be landing in 30 minutes, the pilot suddenly announced, intruding on my dark reverie because he said he was kind of rehearsing his imaginary conversations he was going to have with them. And at once, and I knew at once that I could not enter the weekend with such a toxic spirit. If I could have gotten on my knees, I would have, but planes don't have kneelers. So I sat, belted in, begging God for relief, and the message came, forgive. Impossible, another message perhaps, 
But the word returned again and again until in a burst of almost embarrassing emotion, follow this now, I begged God out loud, how about that plane ride, to provide me the power to forgive. That's the key sentence in this quote. The power to forgive and an experience I reluctantly describe, I had a vision of God cutting a hole in my chest. Inky, thick fluid began to ooze from my heart and it bled until we landed. When I got off the plane, I felt spiritual weight loss. The bitterness was gone. So I've learned myself through the years on this topic that I enjoy conditional forgiveness a lot more than unconditional forgiveness. Conditional forgiveness is this. As long as the other party is responding to me in a way that I appreciate in the difficult topics and conversations, I'm able to stay in that space. But that's not what Jesus is calling us to. That's not like, you know, Gordon McDonald, he wouldn't even have a conversation with the people he was upset about. But the inky, thick fluid was drained from his heart. How? He moved to a space where no, regardless of how the other party is responding or not to you, you are releasing the debt, you are pardoning the offense, you are not holding it against them any longer. That's the essence of forgiveness. It's an unconditional aspect to it. And this is the thing. There's no way apart from Jesus we've got a shot at this. In our humanity, our relational reflexes are so out of alignment because of sin, they're all catered to the law of Lamech. So you're going to go at it when you, someone crosses you, unless what? Unless you get this picture of Christ in you, the hope of glory. The only shot we've got to move towards a sense of relational harmony and peace, and if there's going to be any restoration or any reconciliation, at a minimum, a baseline of forgiveness, the only shot we've got for that is Christ in us, the power to forgive through us. It's Jesus in us. This is him on the cross, hanging there, innocent by the way. So those of you who feel greatly falsely accused, feel you're on the receiving end of all of the wrongs, Jesus is your best companion. He had a whole crowd, most likely family and friends out in that crowd, chanting what? Crucify him. Free the guilty guy Barabbas, a known murderer. How about all the injustice of that? Some of you feel, hey, it's not right. How many times do we say in our relationship, that's not right. Absolutely, it's not right. You know who can best identify that? Jesus. And you know what he said when he's hanging on the cross? No ability to have conversations with all those who've been chanting, crucify him, who've been falsely accusing him, who've been lying about him. He had no shot to work through all that. You know what he said? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You see, Jesus is the pattern, hear this now, is the pattern and the power to forgive. There's no shot. If you don't hear anything else today, you got to hear this. Jesus is the pattern and the power to forgive. By the power of his spirit in you and me, we can release a debt that's been committed against us or a debt we've committed against someone else. We love to be on the receiving end of someone's forgiveness, but boy, do we have a hard time manifesting that forgiveness. That's the law of Lamech in us. How much do we appreciate receiving grace? I know we do from God, and I know we do in our relational worlds from others, but how it's so difficult for us to move in that space. 
And this is where Jesus is the ultimate example and the power to accomplish it. There is no shot without him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So some of you look at your relational worlds and the heartache and the heartbreak and the betrayal and you just go, that's impossible. Here's where Jesus steps in. He likes to take that space right there and move it to possible in this frame. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And if Christ could do that, then Christ in you and I can move us to that place. See where the story goes now. Jesus isn't done with the story. He's got a great ending. Verse 31. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went out and told their master everything that happened. Can you see the scurry of around there? It's like, hey, the guy you just gave a $12 million pardon, he's got his hands around the throat of a guy who owes him 17 bucks, and he's holding him to it. Uh-oh. Verse 32. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. That word wicked means godless. Basically, Jesus calling him out and saying, hey, you're acting like someone who's never been forgiven or pardoned of anything. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours, notice that, because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So first movement in the story is this. If we're going to move from bitterness to forgiveness, we're going to start with the movement of one who is grounding their identity in the $12 million of debt that we've been forgiven. We are a forgiven child of God. The second movement is eyes wide open as we move into this space. Unmet expectations, ache of incompleteness. It's going to be complicated and difficult and messy, and there's no power in and of ourselves. It's only going to be Christ in you to be able to navigate all the unmet expectations in that space. And here's the third movement in this. This one can get, I think, a lot of misunderstanding in this. There's no connection in this text to saying, hey, you know, based upon, the Father's only going to forgive you based on how you forgive others. That's a total misrepresentation of the story. The application of the story is this. Do you see where Jesus is going with it? He's saying, hey, if you are one who has been forgiven, then acts of forgiveness will flow out from you. So the thought that you can be forgiven and just continue to harbor unforgiveness is what he's calling out. You see this? You can't. If you're forgiven, then you will be one. It may take time. It's going to take a whole lot of Holy Spirit. You may need some help. But you'll get to the place where you'll be able to forgive, to be unwilling to dig your heels in and simply cater to yourself in resentment and bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. Jesus says that's not the posture of one who's forgiven. That's not how this works. You've been given $12 million pardon. You stood under the waterfall of his mercy and grace, and now he's asking to let that flow through you in the midst of all the injustice, all the hurt, all the that's not right in our lives. He says that's an example of one who's been forgiven is they move to forgiveness versus one who maybe acts like they don't even know who God is is that a pattern of unforgiveness does not fit in Jesus' yoke. I'm not saying you're not hurt. I'm not saying that hurt doesn't go deep. I'm not saying there isn't some layers of emotion and anger around that. Jesus himself dealt with that. 
But what I am saying is it cannot stay in that place for an extended period of time in the posture of one who is forgiven. So that's why I wrote the principle this way. Hey, failure to forgive is costly. Gang, there's a lot on the line with this. This is not light stuff to just kind of, you know, casually dismiss. There's a lot at stake with this. We are leaky vessels. Do you, do you know like when you get, can, do you know when you're around someone and they just kind of leak out unresolved relational hurt and heartache and betrayal in their life? It's kind of written all over their countenance and the inside of their, there's a lot on the line. You don't want to go to your grave carrying all that is what Jesus is saying. You don't want to get to the end of your run and be pointing back, well, 30 years ago, he, or 40 years ago, she. You don't want to do that. Jesus said, you don't want to get to that place because that stuff just starts affecting all the stuff in here, just starts leaking out of you. And then what it does is it kind of is a toxic effect on all your relational worlds. So failure to look back work through, lighten the load of the past, do you see that affects the relational world of the present? And to bury it, deny it, go lamic in the past, unresolved, to think you could just magically overcome all that currently, that's not how this works. You gotta go back to go forward. And there's so much on the line here. And that's why his ending was so stark. You're like, oh, did you picture Peter's face at the end of that story? It's like, whoa. And he thought he was going to be like super, right, super apostle at the beginning of the story. By the end of the story, he's probably heading to the prayer room. It's like, oh, Lord, all this stuff in my heart. Listen to how John Ortberg, he wrote this quote. I think I put it in your notes there for you. God commands us to forgive whenever we're hurt and reconcile whenever we can because life is too short not to do so. We do not have another shot at it. If you don't forgive, if you let pride and resentment and stubbornness and defensiveness stand in your way, you become a hard and bitter person. You carry a burden that will crush the humanity out of your spirit. You will grow a little colder every day. You will die. Church, you don't want to go that way. Don't go that way. And listen, I know... I know there's some circumstances that are in the category of mountain-sized, overwhelming, the thought of ever getting to the place where you can say, Father, forgive them. But you don't want to go the other way. You don't want to get to the end of the run. And do you see the connection to resilience in all this? There's no way to run this race for decades and to finish at the end of the run with more hope, more joy, more courage, and more confidence in God decades out than you have right now unless you do this. You got to do the hard work of repairing the past, of forgiving the hurts and the offenses. The question isn't whether they're going to occur. The question is when, they're, when they occur, what are we going to do? And for me, and those of you who have been around here for quite a while, you know a few occasions I've talked about, you know, my journey and some of this very personally and close to my heart was a journey with my earthly father. And 20 plus years ago, we had a lot of work to do on this. And I, I had to leave the way of Lamech in relationship with my dad and go the way of Jesus. And that took years and counsel and help. And our relationship's certainly better today than it was back then. It's better today than it was last year. 
My prayer is it'll continue to grow, and I, I keep that. Sometimes that's a, a daily thing, weekly thing. I'm going to go away of Jesus. I'm not going the way of Laman. More recently, it's been, right, in, in working relationships. Sometimes you have working relationships. You know, working relationships in church world can get really complicated. Do you know why? Because it's not just a job for people who work in a church. It's your family. And so when you have to make some difficult decisions and changes in working relationships, I've had to work hard at not going the way of Lamech and going the way of Jesus. Even if the other person never says the things I long for them to say or take ownership on the stuff on their side, I have to take ownership on the stuff I could have handled better. But when the other person never responds, what do you do with that? I go the way of Jesus. Father, forgive them. I want to stay clean in my heart with it. It's so hard to do. For some of you, it's stuff at home. Some things going on in the privacy of your own roof. For some of you, it's a long history of family brokenness. For others of you, it's stuff at work. For others of you, stuff in the church. Maybe it's someone in a spiritual leadership authority position that you've just been crossways. You just name it. And I just have to believe that as hard as it may be, there is a way. Christ in you. There's a better way than Lamech's way. And there's a lot on the line this decision time. Well, several years ago when Kendra was sitting at her father's funeral, she gave me permission to share this. She's sitting at her father's funeral. Her relationship with her dad was complicated. Had quite a few places in her relationship with her dad that just were never quite what she longed for them to be. And there were some conversations I think she longed to have that just never were had. And many of you know exactly that space. She's sitting at her father's funeral after he kind of lost the battle with cancer. And she said, Jesus, just there in that tender moment, just her and the Lord at the memorial service. Said, hey, the next time you see him, it will be healed. Your relationship will be what it was supposed to be. And for her, I think she would say, that was a real healing moment in her life. And for some of you, that's your word today. There's some stuff that's going on. There's some stuff that's gone on. And your unmet expectations and your ache of incompleteness, do you realize? For some of us in this room, do you realize? It's not going to be set right completely until life to come. And man, that's a long endurance for some. But there's some hope in that. Do you see the hope in that? It's not just going to stay broken and unresolved. No, guys, I'll, I'll get the last word in this. We'll get this set straight. Just know, just know, gang, in this life, we may just get splashes of it. You may not get full resolution. And the eye of faith says you look into the life to come and you recognize if they die in Jesus when you see him again, it'll be set right. It'll be set right. So worship team, come up. We're going to have a little response time now. It's decision time. I'm going to open up the front. Ask the team to sing through a song that I think the lyrics will be especially meaningful for this space. And here's the decision point. Some of you this morning, your decision point is this. You're going to come forward and kneel under this banner. Jesus, make me willing to be made willing. You just need a, a ministry of the Spirit to make you willing to go this 
to this space. Others of you, you know today's the day where it's, you know what, you're going to come forward and say, it's time for you to make a move towards another person or persons under the banner of forgiveness and to work at reconciliation. Which, by the way, forgiveness doesn't mean a restoration of the relationship. Some of you are in situations, some of you have gone through abuse patterns. Just because you forgive and pardon the other party doesn't mean you have ongoing relationship with them. That's a whole other conversation, but the whole point is reconciliation and restoration of trust is a whole different journey than this step. You can't get to that without forgiveness, though. You can't get to the point of a conversation about reconciliation and restoration without forgiveness. That's this morning's discussion. This is movement one in the journey. And for some of you, that's your movement this morning. You know there needs to be an email sent, a letter written, and a phone call made, and you know it's time. And so I'm going to ask you to come to the front with your physical body and kneel down as a commitment before the Lord to say, I'll follow through. And for others of you this morning, you've gone down this road with some in your life, and you've been on the consistent receiving end of the law of Lamech in response. And so the hurt that continues to be inflicted by the response of the other person, you need Jesus' help in that because so inside of you, you just want to go Lamech back at him. And you need Jesus to come afresh and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I want to release the debt. I want to pardon the offense. I want to lean into you for the power to forgive. You're the pattern and the power because one who is forgiven is one then who moves in the space of forgiveness. And we want that. And we believe in that. So I went back to the, uh, the tire store a few days after my conversation when they said they couldn't fix it. I said, put the air in the tire. I'm out of here. I need to think about what we're going to do here. Guess what happened every night? the tire deflated again and I had to go out in the garage my own little portable air compressor and blow it up so we could drive it for that day guess what I eventually had to do I went back called the manufacturer of the tire company I said hey 44k and a 90k tire doesn't seem right with me Mr. Simpson you're right it's a rapid wear issue I have heard that before technician on the phone said this we've researched the compound on your tire that tire had no shot for 90k but a new set of four on you you've got a shot at 90k give us another chance you know what hump the phone that's grace that's the that's what this morning is we're gonna get off hey rapid wear you can keep going down the road you're going. You want to go down Lamech, rapid wear on the soul. It's going to wear too thin. You're going to get to the point where you're going to have the conversation you don't want to have with someone, where it's so broken down that the only way is a full-fledged replacement. And then here's the gift of grace, right? Today, Jesus can come, and he can give you a power beyond yourself to do what you could never do. So let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Team's going to sing. I invite you to come and kneel here some kind of response with your body at times I think helps seal a decision. Jesus, we just thank you that you're the ultimate example. Thank you that long ago you pardoned our $12 million and there's some circumstances standing before you now that need a mighty outpouring of your spirit. 
moving us from a place of one who is forgiven to the place of one who can extend forgiveness. Give us wisdom, give us discernment, give us clarity, make us willing to be made willing, minister to broken hearts. Come and have your way. We want to leave the way of Lamech, and we want to go the way of Jesus.